0: Hello, friends. We are back with episode 108 of the R Weekly Highlights podcast. We're smack in the middle of January, but no, we've got some great R content to keep you warm on these cold and blustery, wintry days here in the Western Hemisphere. But we thank you all for tuning in from wherever you're listening around the world. And of course, we never kick this off without my great co-host joining me as always, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you
1: doing this day? Doing great. Very uh, timely introduction as, as in Connecticut. Right now we have a lot of snow outside, but like you said, the highlights and the uh, the, the fan on my old Dell are keeping me very warm.
0: Oh, yes. I, I have a bit of technology in my other rooms that can keep my rooms nice and toasty. But regardless, we, we are going to keep this nice and tidy as always. And we're going to highlight this week's issue, 2023, week 03 that has been curated by Rio Nakagawara, who's been one of our longtime curators. And he had gracious help, as always, from our, our weekly team members and everyone like you around the world with your poll requests and recommendations. So let's get right to it. Now, just because the latest World Cup concluded at the end of last year doesn't mean all of you football enthusiasts out there can't turn loose with your data science skills on a lot of the awesome data that's available publicly. Now, of course, you could go to any of these mainstream football statistics sites. And of course, I'm talking about the worldwide football, not the quote unquote American football. I'm trying to please our international listeners here. And you could unleash your scraping skills to bring all this data into your R session. But why not utilize well, it's already available in the community of some excellent data packages, right available as an R package. And in particular, we're gonna talk about, not frankly, a couple packages from data scientist, Josh Jostool. Hopefully I got that right. And he has created multiple packages available in his GitHub repository related to football data. Now the package in this particular highlight that you're seeing in this issue is called English football which is capturing league data from the English Premier League. Now it is still an active development. And in fact, I found that out somewhat accidentally as I was trying to evaluate the package right before this recording. But in true open source, once I found the issue, I have sent a little pull request to the author and maybe he'll be able to merge it in soon and then we can all install it. But regardless, I was able to also look at in Josh's repository, that he has additional packages that I think have been in a somewhat more finished state, such as this World Cup package, where this has an excellent collection of not just the data, but immense documentation via code books, which is really helpful, especially for those that maybe are somewhat familiar with football data, but would like to know kind of what these variables mean. I think that's a great approach that everybody should take in their data packages. Surely you can bake in documentation in the R package level itself. So you can have a help help page dedicated to each data set. I try to do that in my data related packages, but then having other forms of that documentation just makes it even more accessible. So these PDFs of the code books that Josh has written are really top notch. And so I have a link to the World Cup package in this episode's show notes, so you can take a look at what I'm talking about. But there is a comprehensive set of data in each of these packages related to both player statistics and team statistics. So really a lot to digest and make some awesome tables and visualizations out of. And I could see this even being a nice component and perhaps a Shiny app that explores football data. The possibilities are endless.
1: Well, it's no, no shock that a, a Rio Curated edition of the highlights kicks off with some some football slash soccer. So thank you, Rio. I know he's a big fan as, as am I. Uh, I always like to see this. And it's always interesting for me to see an R package that serves as a database or a data set rather than like a suite of functions. I, I believe Rami Crispin had or maybe still has a, a similar GitHub repo. That houses COVID 19 data sets that we, was used by a ton of people in the last couple of years. Um, and in and, and this particular package, it's a set of five tables uh, a table for seasons, teams, matches, appearances, and standings that comprise a, a relational database spanning over 200,000 football games. Um, and, and like you said, there's a mention of a code book in the README, but uh, yeah, it doesn't appear to quite be available in the repo yet, which is still under development. So the ever elusive data dictionary continues its reign of in- invisibility, but I'm sure it will be here soon. That's just a data dictionary joke, uh, not, not a joke related to this package at all. And like Eric said, there is fantastic, fantastic description of the data in the readme around what each table represents, the frequency and granularity of the data, data in each table. And that goes a long way uh, in ensuring that any analysis based off this data is accurately communicated, that the units are represented correctly. And one thing that I really liked about this package is that as, as a SQL lover myself, there's also a really nice SQL schema.txt file uh, in the SQL lite. Directory within this package, um, which is actually just raw SQL that sets up the database tables and relations uh, before they're populated with any actual data, which is really nice. And Eric, I don't know about you, but can you think of any R package that sits on top of a relational database for you and allows you to really nicely cross filter across all the tables in that uh, in that data model with like a Dplyr like syntax?
0: Well, Mike, I'm getting flashbacks to something I explored last year. That is Kira Mower's DM package. That would be an awesome
1: compliment to this. Whenever i'm I'm working in R with uh, a relational set of data, that is the first package that comes to mind. So it as soon as I get up and running with this football package, I will be immediately loading the DM package right after to to really help my analysis uh, go go a lot quicker. it might otherwise so awesome to see this package uh getting into the R ecosystem as a football soccer fan i am super excited to explore it myself
0: yeah there's a lot of great great ideas that you know you can generate once you get your your hands on these data as quickly as possible and and yeah that SQL definition you know that that was a bonus like usually we don't see this in development packages but um, Josh being very transparent in how he set up that schema is a great additional learning resource for those that may want to do a similar thing, either in, in football or another sport. In fact, even as I think about my personal favorite sport of hockey, we do have some hockey data packages available, but I, they're not as comprehensive as this. Like so Just imagine the time span that he's captured this English Premier League data. All the way from over 80 years worth of data, if not more. That's that's no small undertaking, folks. So I'm I'm really excited to see see what people do with these data sets. And now for our next highlight, we're gonna turn to one of our favorite little web app development frameworks, is Shiny. And in particular, You would likely know by now that out of last year, some of the biggest news coming out of the Shiny ecosystem amongst many developments was the alpha release of Shiny for Python by Posit's Shiny team. Now, I've always been a firm believer in learning by doing. A lot of times just getting in there, getting in the weeds, trying stuff out, it elicits a lot of issues and a lot of learning opportunities. And so there are some particularly interesting aspects of Shiny and Python in particular that enable you to do this even more quickly, which we'll touch on shortly as we discuss this. Now, the biggest question I have, especially maybe others like me that are coming to Shiny from, of course, the R world, is how much different is the workflow and the syntax between an app built with Shiny for R and an app built in Shiny for Python? Well, I'm certainly not the only one to thought about this because Nicola Rennie, who is a data scientist at Jumping Rivers, makes her return to the highlights on her latest blog post where she takes a very simple and streamlined Shiny app and literally builds it twice for all of us to learn alongside her. Now, what's nice about Nicola's approach here is she keeps the focus on the actual Shiny components she took care of abstracting away or doing some pre-processing of the data because gosh, that could easily fit another blog post talking about how to do data manipulation between R and Python. So we're not gonna talk about that here. But then as you look at the overall process of how she built the application, all the way from the very beginning of loading the packages needed, defining the UI layers, which again, very simple layout, But you notice that as you go from the R side to the Python side of this app, the UI functions look extremely similar. It's not gonna look like anything too radical to you. So you'll be able to fit right in and getting the UI elements of your app up and running quickly. And then as you look into the server side component. So this is where, for example, if I wanna show a visualization like Nicola does in her post here, You're going to have the ui placeholder such as like a like a plot output and then you give that an id and then on your server side you're going to have a render plot placeholder that's going to have that same id so you can tie the two together this is a fundamental concept in shiny of course in python it's very similar the one minor little difference that is interesting if your eyes are looking closely at this is that the Python side is using a concept called decorators. That's where you have the at sign in front of a function name, and then you're able to fill in the rest of the, the tie-ins to the UI component for this server-side portion, illustrating the plot. That might take a little getting used to if you're coming from just R solely, but I think once you do a couple of examples, it'll become pretty straightforward. But really, if you put the two code bases side by side, which she does so nicely with an R tab and a Python tab throughout the post, the structure is very, very similar. So getting up and running with this app looks like a pretty easy task if you keep the app simple. Now what's interesting is when you get to deployment, this is where if you're coming from the R side, just like she illustrates here, you would probably deploy to a hosted service such as shinyapps.io or others out there, And that means there is somewhere out there that's literally running the app for you. And then people like you or others would connect to that instance to view it. With Shiny for Python, what made some of the biggest news waves, if you will, during that reveal at our studio Conf was the ability to run a Shiny app in Python on your browser directly. They are using a concept called Shiny Live to illustrate this deposit is made as part of the rollout but this is based in WebAssembly. we don't have to talk about WebAssembly too much here but the idea is that instead of relying on a server platform to run your app you can point people to a link not too different from just a typical website and then all the dependencies for python are going to be downloaded on the client's browser without them even realizing it Might take a second or two to boot up, but once it is, it is seamless. This is the part that gets my attention because any way we can distribute Shiny apps even easier than our current methods is a huge win for this community and this overall project. Now for those on the R side that are feeling a little left out, I know there is very active development to port this same functionality to Shiny apps built with R. It's gonna take a little more heavy lifting because Python had a little bit of a head start in this WebAssembly tie-in. That could be a hook for certain teams to get started with Shiny for Python more quickly. But again, Nicola breaks down this entire process from start to finish, really clear, concise definitions and concise explanations with the example codes so you can quickly see in illustrative form what she's talking about. I'm really excited to use this approach as I begin my Shiny for Python journey later this year. I'm gonna start small. You can't do everything you can do in Shiny for R right now in Shiny for Python, but you can certainly get the basics up and running really quickly. So it's an alpha state. So again, if you're in a you know a enterprise environment, you know the warnings when we hear that. You probably don't wanna put this in production just yet, but it never hurts to be an early adopter and you could perhaps even contribute to future development of Shining for Python and finding issues for the team. As I know from my experience, when you develop something really complex, you may think you've seen all the issues. But well, once you get it in the hands of other people, oh goodness, the floodgates can open with that. <laughs> but awesome job by Nicola is always on this post. And again, really motivates me to take that learning by doing approach to another level with Shining for Python.
1: It was a fantastic blog post by, by uh, Nicola. And, and overall, like you, I was pretty shocked at how similar the Python code is to R code for building a Shiny app. I, even when using things like HTML tags or Markdown, like the syntax was strikingly similar. So uh, I, I think we can cue someone out there somewhere soon making a package uh, that converts your R Shiny code into Python Shiny code. I mean, that's just inevitable, right? Great idea, Woody. I
0: like your thinking.
1: And, and like you, I spent a lot of time checking out uh, her section discussing deployment options. And the, the Shiny Live deployment option, like you said, is unique to Shiny for Python apps, runs the app entirely in the client's browser without the need for a server. Uh, this means that you could deploy to GitHub pages if you're using GitHub, which is, is just wild to me because that's such an easy deployment option if you, if you are on GitHub. Um, but I would imagine that there are maybe some size limitations on that which could affect speed and performance at a minimum. I mean if you're making a giant, a pretty big production shiny app uh, like <laughs> Eric, I'm sure I'm sure you have once or twice. Um, I'm not sure if you would want a dedicated server that, that sort of you have more control over. To be hosting that particular shiny app, but I think for for so many so many use use cases, this new WebAssembly technology might uh, be be pretty transformative for a lot of individuals. It's going to be transformative negatively for my uh, ca- my company's consulting practice that that helps folks uh, stand stand up environments for for self hosting uh, or using Posit Connect to, to host uh, and deploy your shiny apps. But I guess for the overall. Ecosystem and community; it's it's a net benefit. So I will uh, I'll, I'll make my peace with that and be happy. But <laughs> just for fun, uh, Nicola even developed a Streamlit version of, of the app, which is another Python uh, web application framework, I believe. Uh, just I mean, talk about overachieving! Pretty pretty incredible in this blog. And Streamlit appears to have its own hosting service, which was when I tested it out uh, on my browser a little bit more responsive. Than the Python app that was deployed to GitHub Pages, just running off WebAssembly, and the R the version that was an R shiny app that was deployed to shinyapps.io uh, was actually the most responsive out of the three, which was pretty interesting. So I don't, I don't know what what plan she has uh, on shinyapps.io. Maybe that could affect the speed, but um, I mean the, the the differences in speed were, were pretty minimal because this is a small app. But it was just interesting to me to see uh, which ones responded quicker. And I guess the last thing that I'll say is that I would imagine, right, this this has been pretty transformative stuff uh, in, in the R community, in Python communities. I, I think it's always exciting when you
0: see something released early on and then when, when other users get their hands on it, the directions they can take with it. I'm, yeah, I'm really intrigued by where this can go. Now, some ask me, even outside this podcast and my other adventures, Are you doing anything with Shiny for Python yet in production? Well, again, I put out the caveat, not yet. But I do have teams I work with that have these either machine learning or optimization models that have been built in Python. And then we stitch them together in a Shiny app built with R in the traditional sense. But there may be advantages to just quickly spinning up that Shiny for Python equivalent with that model baked in. And then bam, you've got it deployed very quickly. So I think... It's still early to tell where the footprints will be in my particular industry just yet, but there is already getting a lot of interest to see where it could go. So I always say, watch this space whenever these new developments happen. And I've seen this happen before. Some of these other transformative frameworks, such as Quarto, in the early days of that, it was kind of, quote unquote, hush, hush a little bit about it, but then look what Look where that's taken things in in scientific communication. So the potential is huge here. And I'm already hearing in various other presentations that have been led by POSIT's team that there is a lot of positive reception among the Python audience to signing for Python already. So it's very interesting days. and I guess we'll see what the future holds for it.
1: So I would imagine that at some of the R and Shiny conferences this year, we might hear more about Python for Shiny and and advancements in Shiny across both languages.
0: Oh, you got to believe that's coming up, as well as a lot of other interesting conferences, which is a perfect transition to our last highlighter today, where Isabella Velasquez on the marketing team at Posit has put together this great blog post highlighting some of the upcoming conferences involving R, in 2023. The year is still young, but it never hurts to think ahead of what interesting vet conferences you might be participate in or perhaps even attending or presenting at. So we're going to get started pretty quickly in terms of the spring. We're in March. We have multiple conferences coming up soon, such as for the data journalists out there, the NICAR conference over in Nashville which it sounds like there has been an increasing presence of R amongst the data journalists that have been using this um, quite well. And also, for the Shiny fans out there, later in March, ShinyConf 2023, hosted by Absalon, will be online and completely free. So if you've ever been even just remotely interested in what Shiny is going in terms of the industries and the tooling available, you've got to attend this. I am a little biased because I am on the program committee and I just saw that there are some amazing, amazing talks lined up. So really exciting and and you'll be hearing more about this very soon as well. Then we get to the summer months. We got the tried and true R Finance Conference happening in Chicago, which is a very um, long history conference of using R across all spectrums of finance analysis. And then we've got R in Medicine, great for the life sciences and health uh, data scientists out there. Another conference has been going on for at least four years now. We've got others as well in Europe, such as PsychoCo 2023, as well as in August, Bioconductor is going to lead their own mini conference where you can get involved with the Bioconductor Project. That's an exciting Thing for all the bioinformatics enthusiasts out there. The typical JSM conference for statistics. That's always one of the biggest standbys. And a lot of great R content is usually presented there. We've got Cascadia R Conf in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Another great, smaller scale, but yet very enthusiastic conference. And then in September, as we alluded to last week, Posit Conf is coming to Chicago. I have a feeling I might be there. And also there might be some other familiar faces there. It's going to be a great event. I can't wait for that. And then for another, for the shiny enthusiasts in October in the UK, Shiny in production. That's a great conference dedicated to all the various production issues that we can encounter and the various solutions that we can tackle to bring these apps to production quality. There was a version of this last year that I saw the recordings of that we featured in previous highlights, really well done. So again, this is just a small sample of the conferences coming up, but it's going to be an exciting time to both learn and share our knowledge about using R across these different fields.
1: I'm super excited. And, and like you, we'll throw a little wink, wink to, to PositConf uh, in Chicago in September. I am very excited to to wink, wink, be there as well. And, you know, I think that maybe I just might have to uh, plan a trip to all of these conferences and and do a little bit of a world tour and uh, obviously find a way to optimize my travel plans with R. So it's nice to see shiny conferences becoming more and more of a thing as well very much looking forward to uh the i guess the first conference of the year as isabel lays it all out in chronological order which will be absalon's shiny conference in march which is right around the corner i can't wait
0: yeah it reminds me using r to facilitate your travel plans many uh, i don't know how many years ago maybe three or four years ago um, men a chechen kind rundell from posit had written a shiny app to plan which talks she was going to attend at JSM that year. So if that isn't if that That's isn't awesome. how we all work, I don't know what is. We're going to find Art and Shiny to do all the things, even conference
1: talk attending. <laughs> Absolutely. That is awesome.
0: Yep. And like I said, many of these may either be a mix of hybrid and in-person or completely virtual or in-person, but the links in Isabella's blog posts have direct links to all the different Conferences for registration, but I'm always every time I see talks being announced, you better believe you're going to see some great data science and R-rated content at all of these. And again, really excited for for many of the things coming up. Awesome.
1: Likewise. Likewise. What else did you see this week, Eric? In the highlights.
0: Yes, well, speaking of seeing things, I'm going to give a great plug to my friends, Ellis Hughes and Patrick Ward for their latest TidyX episode, which is available on their TidyX YouTube channel, where they take a deep dive into letting non-data experts perform fuzzy matching of data sets with Shiny, because... I know of all people when I get these data sets that are collected in quote unquote the real world and you know things are just this close to matching but there's just a little misspelling here a little miscategorization there, it can be really unwieldy to deal with that. And so what Ellis and Patrick do is they go from start to finish how they build a Shiny app that imports a data set as well as a set of rules to follow to perform the joining and how quickly a non-expert can perform these operations. There are previous episodes that get into fuzzy matching in more detail. So if you've ever encountered these messy data issues, this recent series that they've launched is really worth a watch. So highly recommend episode 132 for that data fuzzy joining goodness. How about you, Mike? (laughs)
1: No, they do such a great job uh, taking such a such an applied approach to their screencasts in in tidyx. So absolutely, kudos to them and great shout out. I found uh, in R Polars package, which Polars is a framework for data manipulation um, that is is big in the Python and Rust community. I believe right now it hasn't necessarily made its way to R, but it is coming. To R, uh, The GitHub repo exists. The, the package exists. But there are still, um, I, I believe, quite a few items on the roadmap. And, and Polar's calls Rust under the hood. It's, it's based on the Apache Arrow memory model. It's a column-oriented syntax, so it should feel pretty similar to Dplyr and, and Tidyverse when you're writing. Code using the R Polars package and it's multi-threaded as well. Um, so they say that you should see five to ten x improvements um, over your, your non-Polars code. You know, with datasets that are uh, half a gig or greater. So this is pretty cool stuff that that continues to come in sort of the the big data in memory processing abilities um, that we're, we're having in the last couple of years with with the Apache Arrow project and with all these other different projects, DuckDB that are spinning up sort of around it to give us a, a lot of power just on our own laptops, which is, is pretty incredible. So I'm excited to see projects like this be spanned across programming languages and really be programming language agnostic and not necessarily tied into, tied into one particular language. So so this is awesome. This is awesome. Very excited.
0: Yeah, we're seeing such tremendous gains in utilizing additional frameworks to bring performance and handling large and complex data to the masses with minimal footprint. So I'm, I'm even looking at the documentation page as we're talking about this. And, and I must say, the author of this, uh, Soren, is definitely interested in having contributors join him. Um, He has a funny little blurb in his contribute section, but he spells out very quickly where they're looking for help. So if you want to get involved and be on the cutting edge, I think looking at the Polar's package is definitely worth a look here. Great, great find, Mike. And of course there is much more than just that in this issue. We've got the usual terrific assortment of additional tutorials, new packages coming on CRAN and is also in development on GitHub. As well as again links to great showcases of R in the real world. So if you want to get involved and get a feedback to our show, it's very easy to do that. If you want to get involved with R Weekly itself, just go to rweekly.org. If you haven't bookmarked it, what are you waiting for? Please bookmark it. You know, make your life so much easier to keep up with the latest and greatest content. You can send your feedback on a new resource, maybe new package via a pull request to our repository. Everything's in Markdown. EYCF, one of my favorite friends at POSIT had a famous quote at one of the conferences he went to many years ago. If you can't learn Markdown in five minutes, he would give that person $5. Well, he never had to pay anybody, so that should tell you how easy Markdown is. Just saying. But also, if you wanna give feedback to our your two little co-hosts over here, An easy way is to get yourself one of those new podcast apps at newpodcastapps.com, and you can send us a little boost inside that favorite app player, such as Fountain or Podverse, which make it super easy to get up and running quickly. And also, we love hearing you on our various social media channels. You can find me still a little bit on Twitter with at the Rcast and on Mastodon. At our podcast at podcastindex.social. And Mike, we know the listeners want to get a hold of you. Where can they find you?
1: On Twitter, still at Mike underscore Catchbrook, K E T C H B R O O K, and Mastodon at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org.
0: Awesome stuff. And we always enjoy hearing from you and great to see the excitement around Art Weekly making the waves in 2023. And I've actually been geeking out a little bit on some infrastructure improvements for our team. Went down quite a few rabbit holes that might make some bonus content in future episodes. But in any event, R will be involved because it always has to be. (laughs) Well, that'll do it for us on episode 108. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in from around the world. And we'll be back with another edition next week.